Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, episode 74. In this episode, we're going to talk about discipleship. Is discipleship question number three? How do trials cultivate transformation, I think, is what it is. And before that, we have some business to tend to. Books and business. Let me go first, and I'm also going to bring back something that we had done previously. What is happening on this day in Middle Earth? Just ponder that for a moment Hmm. while I do the other thing I forgot to do. Okay. Which is, we need to give away some prizes. Yeah, yeah. So here's how we're going to give away those prizes. Andy, pick a number between 1 and 20. 13. 13. Tim, pick another number Always between 13. 1 and 20. 7. 7. Ooh, number 7 is Add Handy Faith. Add Handy Faith, if that is your name that you put on your five-star review, you can email us at thinklingspodcast at gmail.com and let us know where we could send a prize, a mailing address, and also if you would prefer a book, a t-shirt, or a mug, let us know that. And then you said 13? 13. That is Larry Lindo. Larry Lindo. Hey. Father of Logan. That's right. That guy needs all the help he can get. <laughs> it's no comment. <laughs> I love Logan. He's in, He's in my, my Principles of Bible Teaching. Yeah, I want to I be nice to Logan. Yeah. So, uh, Larry, Larry Lindo, <laughs> you can also email us at thinklingspodcast at gmail.com with those two same things, a mailing address, and would you like a book, a shirt, or a, what's the other thing? A mug? mug. Yeah. Um, and we might have gift cards too, maybe. I can't remember. I have one gift card, yeah. We have a gift mm-hmm. card. So yeah, let us know what you want. Send that to us and uh, we will send you a prize. Thank you for doing the reviews and we're actually going to do it again. Today Boom. is March 14th from today, March 14th through April 14th. So one month, we're going to do another cycle. If you leave a five-star review on Apple and leave a comment, we will do the same thing we did today. We will pick names and send prizes, and the only thing you have to do is leave the review. So You know, it's a really good thing we're doing this today, not tomorrow when our episode drops, because tomorrow is the Ides of March. Tomorrow is the Ides of March. Beware the Ides of March, Charlie. Also, happy Pi Day, 3.14. Oh, that's right, yeah. Also, what is happening on this day in Middle Earth? Ooh. I don't know. In the year 3019, the third age. Who published The Lord of the Rings? Houghton Mifflin. And that was like the English company. Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. And they're uh, they're no longer distributing them. It's now being distributed by HarperCollins. Is that a good thing? I don't know. I hope I get better prices. But <laughs> what they've told me is that I have to destroy all of my Lord of the Rings Tolkien inventory and then reorder it through HarperCollins. What? No. Yeah, seriously. You hold on to all that stuff. It's gonna be collectors. Do not, do not. I will take it all from you. I will. I have for to a reasonable it. discount. Well, anyway, I just got <laughs> thinking we could maybe do like some kind of giveaway, you <gasps> know, and have some damaged product. I have to damage it. Okay, so 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 that's what we could maybe. So we're gonna away. do not a book burning, but a bur- a book preserving. A book. We're like, saving books. A book like banging to like break it, and then we can give it away. <laughs> it do- it doesn't quite work that way, but we'll see what we can come so, up with. <clears throat> So what's funny is before we started this episode, both Andy and I were like, yeah, my books and business is going to be really long. 
<laughs> and we haven't even gotten to it yet. I'm done. That's what I got. It's not my books in business. It's not, but... see, yeah. So what's happening on this day, it's actually like a three-day thing in the Lord of the Rings, is the ride of the Rohirrim. Also, so if you want to follow like Frodo and Sam, like they're going through Shelob's lair and uh, wow, Tim, he's not silencing his phone. They Charles, can't hear that though. Charles just feels good that it's someone else. It's not me this time. Let me put my thing on Do Not Disturb, by the way. <laughs> um, it's not letting me put it on Do Not Disturb. Oh, I just turned it off. It's going to ding. Oh, there we go. Okay. So the ride of the Rohirrim. So this is like uh, Frodo and Sam are up in uh, Shelob's lair and he's getting taken by the orcs. But then down in Minas Tirith or like the riders of Rohan, they're coming. And there's like these really cool scenes in the book where the way that Tolkien does it is the chapter four is you're at Minas Tirith and the black army is coming and it's super it, it, like they they put the they shielded the sunlight for like a couple of days while the army's coming it's dark it's night just i'm just going to read the the first part of some of these um, of these paragraphs so it's ever since the middle night the great assault had gone on next paragraph the drums rolled louder Grand crawled on. Grand is oh, the big, Grand. like, battering ram they're going to use to break down the door. Grand crawled on. The next paragraph, Grand crawled on. It's the same sentence again. It's like this slow crawling of death to conquer the city of the lost king. And what book are we in? It's the, it's the return of the king. I'm whispering because it's dramatic. I don't know if you can hear that. But so <laughs> the black death is crawling on, and they're like, they're going to destroy the city of the, of the lost king. The drums rolled and rattled. Then the black captain rose in his stirrups and cried aloud in a dreadful voice, speaking in some forgotten tongue words of power and terror to rend both heart and stone. In rode the lord of the Nazgul, a great black shape against the fires. Beyond he loomed up, grown to a vast menace of despair. So he, go, he goes, they break down. Gron strikes on the third strike. There's like a big bolt of lightning of it as it breaks. And everybody flees except for one person. It's Gandalf. Mm. All save one. There waiting, silent and still in the space before the gate, sat Gandalf upon Shadowfax. You cannot enter here, said Gandalf, and the huge shadow halted. Go back to the abyss prepared for you. Go back, fall into nothingness that awaits you and your master. The black rider flung back his hood, and behold, he had a kingly crown, and yet upon no head visible was it said. The red fire shone between it and the mantled shoulders vast and dark. From a mouth unseen there came a deadly laughter. Old fool, old fool, this is my hour. Do, not, do you not know death when you see it? Die now and curse in vain. And with that he lifted high his sword and flames ran down the blade. Gandalf did not move. And in that very moment, away behind in the same, in some courtyard of the city, a cock crowed. Shrill and clear he crowed, wrecking nothing of wizardry or war, welcoming only the morning that in the sky far above the shadows of death was coming with the dawn. And as if in answer, there came from far away another note. Horns, horns, the horns, of God. horns. In dark Mindaluan sides they dimly echoed, great horns of the north wildly blowing. Rohan had come at last. <laughs> then you get to the next chapter, it's the ride of the Rohirrim. And uh, I've already read too much. I'm not going to read it. But it's it's their their 12 day ride from uh, Helm's Deep 
to Minas Tirith, and they get there on the morning at dawn of March 15th. Oh, man. So right now, as we're recording this, they're riding. The Black Death Plague is approaching Minas Tirith with Grand. And tomorrow morning, when this podcast airs, oh, the Rohirrim yes. arrive, and he shouts, Ride now, ride now, ride to Gondor. Fell deeds awake, fire and slaughter, spear shall be shaken, shield be splintered, a sore day, a red day, ere the sun rises, ride now, ride now, ride to Gondor. That's what I've been reading. That's my books and business. March 15th. Oof. It's not Beware the Ides of March. Oh, that's better. It's Beware Theoden. Yeah. King of Rohan. So now I have a better memory for March 15th to associate it with than Caesar getting stabbed a whole bunch. Yeah. Mm, that was good. Okay, well, my books and business is going to be way less dramatic. <laughs> That's okay. Mine will be too. I saw I saw this on... Hey, that was fun. I don't yeah. know where I saw it, but I saw like a, a picture of like the ride of the Rohirrim, which I think it's my favorite part of, yeah. of Return of the King is that scene, other than like kind of the resolution of like, you know, this huge big story. It's quite different than the movie too. When, yeah. when Gron breaks through in the movie, there's a great big battle. Yeah, they don't they don't show like... Gandalf standing there in the gate and this like conversation between him right and the black king you know and like and then often the I think I don't know if he just subconsciously did this but you think of like the rooster crowing and the gospels yeah but then at that same you hear this it's so quiet it's just like these two people talking and they're behind Gandalf is this rooster crowing and then almost an answer Mm-hmm. Like their horns of yeah. of Rohan and the horse, like that's just a really sweet moment of the movie. I think it's everybody's favorite scene in the movie, and or one of their favorites. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it's just great. It's interesting too because the way he wrote that, there's a aesthetic beauty. It's like what you were reading. It's just, it was written really well, and it captures you. So, so like, I know we're not supposed to talk. Got to keep going. I know, but so just the, <laughs> okay, okay. I don't know how Tolkien isn't like allegorizing this because you think about how long was the he battle said he of... wasn't he said he wasn't allegorizing yeah i know but listen okay andy what's your vixen business no no no, 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 no. this is out. this is worth talking about so on the morning of like you know christ is being crucified peter's denying there's the darkness mm-hmm. of the death of christ mm-hmm. there's the rooster crowing he has a rooster crowing yeah how long was christ dead three days mm-hmm. how long was the battle of pelinor fields three days like, what is it? It's it's the return of the king. Like, and it's, I don't think it's him allegorizing, but like that figure of like the king returning, like, and like so much of the imagery is similar, but like it's the conquering of death. It's the conquering of the black. And it's at the morning, the sunrise, like you read like what's happening as the Rohirrim are riding. It's like the sun is blazing off of their shining shields and swords, like lighting the ground as they run. Like it's just this beautiful imagery of light over darkness. It's 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 masterful. Mm-hmm. It's really good. There's a reason it's a classic. Yeah. It is interesting too, just to know that he has. I think theology. it's good. You think it's good? <laughs> I could be a book critic. That book is good. Oh, well done. Okay, so I'll go quickly. So I'm yeah. reading three books right now. Last week was spring break. I didn't do a lot of reading. I know. You're like what? But I had like tons of grading and did stuff with family and projects around the house. But I got um, a little bit more of Pagans and the Christians and the Pagans and Christians in the city read. And then I got a new book 
by J. Werner Wallace called Person of Interest. It's an apologetics book. I started it. looks really interesting, very attainable. I'll, I'll talk about that in the future. And then I'm also in the middle, almost finishing um, Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. And so my nugget for you this week is in chapter eight, he has a, a helpful title called Obedience, Not Victory. And what he does in that chapter is he explains that when it comes to pursuing holiness, um, you sh- he, he recommends you don't use the language of victory against or over sin when you're talking about whether you're succeeding or failing. He says, when I say it like I have victory over sin, then if I don't have victory, what's the language we would use? Defeated. Defeated, yeah. If you get defeated by sin, then it's someone else who has the responsibility for why you're sinning in a sense because like the enemy has beat you. But he says in the in the New Testament, sin is always your responsibility. You're always the one who chose to not obey God or you obey the flesh, the desires of the flesh. And so he recommends as a principle of growth to not use victory, defeat, and in your language about sanctification, but rather use obedience or disobedience. And I find that pretty compelling. I think that's a useful thought. Now, you do have the victory in Christ, but I think in the New Testament, like we get a victory through Christ. But I, I anyway, so I'm thinking that through, and I, so I want to look into it, but I, I like that. I like that. And I'd gotten that a long time ago in my speech and my, my, my thoughts. I don't know where it came from. So this is one of those things where, you have an idea, you think, oh, that's a really good idea. Where'd I come up with that? And now 10 years later, I'm like, oh, I read it in a book and forgot. So anyways, you remember more than you think. That's all. That's it. That's a good thought. Uh, so my books in business is The Sexual Reformation by Amy Bird. Uh, the subtitle is Restoring the Dignity and Personhood of Man and Woman. That book's not having any controversy right now in broader evangelicalism, Tim. No, not at all. So um, anyway, I won't. <laughs> uh, Amy Bird uh, had published some books through uh, PNR, Presbyterian and Reformed Publishing, and had been a. She still claims that she is a complementarian, uh, but she's sounding more and more egalitarian. Uh, and part of her journey has led her through the Song of Songs. In this book, The Sexual Reformation Restoring the Dignity and Personhood of Man and Woman, the Song of Songs is actually a major exegetical um, point. Uh, of the book. The table of contents, uh, one of the titles is We Are Singing the Wrong Song, and the whole point of that chapter is we're not reading the Song of Songs correctly. And then chapter three, Our Bodies Speak. I'm not sure what she's doing in that chapter. And then chapter four, The Woman's Desire and the Desirous Woman. Uh, That's building off of the three uses of the desire of the woman in in Genesis 3, 16, Genesis 4, 7, and Song of Songs 7, 10. And so she has like 40 pages just on that one uh, issue. So anyway, I wanted to just point out, uh, this is how a lot of people read the Song of Songs. On page 24, uh, she writes, I remember that early in my marriage, our small group did a Song of Songs study in which we listened to sermons on cassette tapes from Pastor Tommy Nelson, all about the art of attraction, dating, intimacy, and conflict. So she was, you know, a newly married woman, and uh, they had cassette tapes, which was kind of funny, uh, on the Song of Songs. So uh, anyway, she continues, I'm going to skip a little bit. As we listened to the tapes and had our discussions, something fell flat for me. Sure, there was plain sense application there, and I wanted to follow that, but it seemed like we were missing something even bigger. 
is the main teaching for singles to remain virgins until married? Is that all there is to that? What do singles have that is valuable for contribution and communion as unmarried whole people? Um, and so she's like, something's missing here. There needs to be some other application. And her next chapter title is The Superlative Song. And then she writes, why is the song superlative to all of these other songs? She's interacting with the song of Moses and uh, the song of the vineyard. As Pastor Liam Goliger answers, because it brings us into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of the one who is called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The song takes us, sings us, to our eschatological hope. If you want meaningfulness, the song has that. See, so this is a common thing with Song of Songs studies. People don't deny the literal meaning, but they say there's another meaning, there's a deeper meaning, there's a bigger meaning. There's the relationship that you have with Jesus, and that's being uh, communicated in the Song of Songs. Uh, but that's not what the Song of Songs is, communica- is teaching. Later on, she writes, like the church fathers and most interpreters before the 19th century, I read the song as an allegory of Christ's love for the church, as well as for the individual body and soul of the believer. And Amy Bird preached a sermon. Preached a sermon? She preached a sermon? Is that what that was? I think that's what that was. Yeah, I think it Anyway, was. she preached this sermon, and she was exegeting the end of uh, Song of Songs chapter 2. And basically, everybody was like, what in the world is she saying? And that's what allegory ends up doing a lot of times. It's like, what in the world is this person saying? And her book here has, I've had to do that on multiple occasions, back up and just be like, okay, what is she saying? Um, Because allegory is uh, a great method of interpretation for you. And everybody can have their own. Uh, And so that's why we don't allegorize the song. Uh, so anyway, The Sexual Reformation by Amy Bird. I am interested. I'm going to be reading more of this, and I might talk about it in a future episode. But uh, that's my books and business for today. Is it shack stack material? Pretty close. Uh, it might be. I'm not going to throw it on the shack stack because I may use it for academic research. Uh, the whole issue, she has like that 40, 40 pages on on the desire of the woman. Uh, and I may interact... I, I'm submitting a proposal to write an academic article on the desire of the woman, Song three or uh, Genesis three sixteen, Genesis four seven, and Song seven ten, the three uses of the Hebrew word teshuka, and she mm-hmm. talks about that for forty some pages in here, and it seems to be uh, a regular conversation. So I really want to write an academic article on that this summer. Awesome. Uh, I'll give you a quick preview of what's in this episode. Discipleship question number three. How do trials cultivate transformation, I think, is the title of it. We talk about what exactly a trial does to you. Like when things don't go your way, what happens? And the answer is what's on the inside comes out. And so we talk about that quite a bit. Uh, I do just want to say I told the crowd I was going to mention the crowd in this episode after the crowd tour. I have mentioned the crowd. Enjoy this episode. Let's have another conversation about discipleship. If you've listened to some previous episodes, we're working our way through, at least when I have the opportunity to have the content, we're working our way through uh, these questions about discipleship, and we've covered two so far. Question number one, what is God's will? And our answer to that was, God's will is to internally transform you. And then question number two was, how does God accomplish his will? 
And the answer to that was spiritual training. Or you could use any one of the words training or tests or trials, suffering works, but it wasn't a T. Uh, and so the last episode we talked about it, how God uses the teaching of God's word through the trial or the test or the suffering or the training. That's the official word we're going to go with is the training. But through the training, he takes the teaching of God's word and he, he brings it, transforms it into wisdom as he transforms us. So there's a cross, you get across the bridge to the transformed character and loves and desires and motives by the trial and the teaching of God's word coming together. So that's kind of the idea we talked about in the last episode. If you want to learn about that or review on that, you just go back and listen to uh, that episode. So the question that we're going to answer in this episode is trying to connect the dots of how a trial cultivates or produces that transforming work. So that's the question. How do trials cultivate transformation? So before we jump in, just kick the ball across the table. How would you answer that question, Andy or Tim? How do trials or how does a trial or a test produce, cultivate the transformation? Like what what is happening in a trial that gets someone from just a, a knowledge an idea of what the truth says, but where it actually becomes wisdom and they are changed. Like, what, What's special about testing that does that? I would say I think it, it's pressure. There's, there's some sort of pressure element. So when I think about James, it says the trial produces something and it's a test of your faith. So I can say I trust God in this area and trusting God looks like obedience. But when the trial comes, how much pressure do I withstand before I'm not going to obey. And so it kind of gives me a vision of what I'm actually, like where's my level of faith? And that pressure, maybe it's like the squeeze helps. I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah, I mean, I would I would usually say that it, it reveals uh, your real desires. Mm. It reveals your heart desires. Uh, so James chapter 4, and when you're, when you're under the squeeze, then we see what's inside and who you really are as a person. The, the teacup illustration from Jim Berg is probably the classic illustration. Yep, and that's, you, you, you hit the ideas that I wanted you to hit. And, and there was no preparation for this. Yeah, listener, he didn't prep it. He just, just boom. So the, the terms of pressure. Except we uh, talk about it. We do talk lot. about it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, that part doesn't matter. <laughs> but before we hit record, there wasn't a moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to ask this question and I want you to say. Right. Um, so that in that sense, it was candid. But so there's the pressure there's this squeezing, there's an, a, a revealing. And, and that's actually the idea that I, I want you to think about, that we want to think about with this question. How does a trial cultivate transformation? A trial is going to, it does something to us. There's a pressure it applies. And the pressure reveals something that is necessary to understand as knowledge becomes wisdom as my flesh is then yielded to the spirit and I am changed. Like something has to happen and the pressure does the happen. Like it, it does the action. It places pressure on you to reveal something. So uh, we use the, you mentioned this illustration of tea where you put a bag of tea into hot water and the heat extracts. So what's on the inside comes to the outside right? Another great illustration of this is like a tube of toothpaste. 
Okay, there's toothpaste in the tube of toothpaste. And what do you have to do to get the toothpaste out? You squeeze, squeeze. it. And once you squeeze it and it comes outside, it's really hard to get it back in there. So like you can maybe speculate as to what's inside that tube. You know what? Maybe you're just that one person who hasn't bought a tube of toothpaste. It says it's toothpaste, but you're just not sure. Maybe it says it's something else, like peanut butter. But when you squeeze it, what comes out from the inside reveals what it really is. And that's the idea, is that God actually wants you to know what is going on inside of you. Go back to that Deuteronomy 8 passage. He tested them to know what was in their heart. And again, I don't think it was him, the Lord, trying to figure out something he didn't know. He knew Mm -hmm. what was inside their hearts. He wants them to know. So what does he do? He squeezes the tube of toothpaste. And you can make a really bold claim. I'm, I'm religious. I'm godly. I'm walking in the spirit. And then boom, that pressure gets applied. And look what comes out of that tube. Oh boy. Okay. And we're going to maybe parse that out a little bit more as we progress through the questions. But the purpose of the trial is to restrict your desire. By nature, a trial is something happening to you that you don't want to happen, <laughs> right? Like you, you wanted something else to happen. It's a test because what you wanted didn't happen. Like I really wanted this to happen. I really wanted to get to work on time, but then your car broke down. Generally, that's not something people like, right? There's something that you want that you don't get. And James 4 addresses that specifically. We're going to look at that um, next question. But that's the idea. How does a trial cultivate transformation? Through not getting what you want, it reveals what you want. I don't know if that makes sense. Hmm. By not getting what you wanted, it shows you what you wanted. And you kind of piece these things together. God wants an internal change, not just an external obedience. He wants your loves to change. And we are sometimes deceived into thinking that we know what our loves are and that our loves are pure. But those loves and motives and desires, way down deep in the heart, sometimes we don't see them. And so God wanting us to see them puts pressure. (laughs) And it's not getting what I want through the trial or the testing that reveals what I want. And, And so that's the big idea. Trials increase spiritual awareness. So there's more to us. There's more to you than what you, than what meets the eye. And when a trial happens, you might sometimes be surprised and say of yourself, oh, I didn't know that was in there. <laughs> and then you might also say, oh, wow, I really love that a lot. When you don't get what you want and it's really painful to give something up or to have to realize you're not getting the thing that you wanted, not just in a material sense, but it could be something like love or respect, something like that, attention, uh, something you think you deserve. Like you, you think someone should be kind to you and they're not. But those moments of pressure reveal, oh, wow, that, that's what I love. And so 
very simply that question, how do trials cultivate transformation? They think of tilling up soil, you know, and you have to turn it around before the seed can be planted and that it can germinate and then sprout up. And that's a great illustration of sanctification. There has to be a tilling of the soil of the heart so that the truth can grow from within and then extend out into life. There's a difference between that and just doing the right thing. Because you can just do the right thing, but it might not have grown out of a heart that is aware of its own uh, deceits and loves, perhaps. And so that, that, that's the idea, is that trials restrict desire. And when God produces a trial, he allows you to have one, a test, a trial. He takes you through the spiritual training. What is he trying to accomplish in that trial? By not getting what you want, God is revealing what you want. He wants you to know what's at work in your heart. So trials, testings, spiritual training increases spiritual awareness. And where that's going to become very practical is in when we get to ideas like repentance and humbling and submission, think through what you repent of. And it's very common to repent of actions. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I will try not to do that again. There, that, that's not wrong. But if you're never realizing the connection between your actions and your loves, and you're not repenting of the loves, oh, wow, I am committing idolatry. I love this thing way more than God. I love myself way more than God. I want that thing way more than I should. If you're not recognizing those avenues of desires within you, you might not be growing internally. You might just be conforming externally. And, and so that, that's the idea of this exercise, thinking through these questions, is to focus your mind on what's going on within you, which is, I think, what God is trying to accomplish when he allows you to go through a trial. And so that's kind of the idea there. Trials restrict desire so that they can increase your spiritual awareness. What do you guys think about that? Like, do you have any thoughts on that idea? So, um, sometimes the trial and thinking through the trial, it depends, it depends on the trial. Okay. So sometimes I might want something and then it doesn't, it doesn't happen. And sometimes it doesn't really bother me. Uh, but I don't know if that's really a good measurement of my spiritual maturity or just how much I really wanted whatever it was. Does that make sense? I think so. So, um, um, I don't know. Nothing's coming to mind right now, but some specific uh, illustration. But I might want to play a game or go to the um, store or whatever, and then something happens, and then I don't get to do that. And it's just like, oh, well. But I think it's more of a revelation of, well, that's not really something that I really wanted, okay? Sure. So it's like the level of my desire, mm -hmm. I think, can w w communicate the real, the real uh, spiritual temperature of my walk with the Lord. So, so like when, when you're thinking through, oh, well, what's something that I desire that I didn't get? 
How about you ask, like, add, add a little adverb there, okay? Earnestly desire. Like, this is something that you mm. really, really wanted, mm. all right? And then when you really, really want it and you don't get it, that's when you're really getting a squeeze, mm. okay? That's when you're really getting, like, that revelational. Con- I know that's just something as you are working through it. Yeah. That might just uh, help the reader to to register with that idea. In Deuteronomy 8, you know, it was food. So they're like hungry. Yeah. That's a really strong desire. So anyway, that's just something that I thought of. Actually, just tagging off that, it's it's kind of rebuking in my own life at times when I have those kinds of desires for stuff that's like super insignificant. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. like a cup of coffee, let's say. Like my, my whole morning, I didn't realize I was planning around like making this perfect cup of coffee or something. or And then I have to leave before I can make it or something. And it's just a cup of coffee, but it's intriguing how much sometimes earnest desire is there. Uh-huh. So I guess that's an interesting thought. But I, I will say, man, the times I get really ticked because something doesn't go my way, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to parse through like what's going on in there. Yeah. Does that well, make sense? It is very complicated. We're we're desire machines. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, not machines isn't a great word because it, it has a sense of like robotics to it, like that we are just a, a cold Beings. creature, you know. A cre- yeah. But the idea is that it's, it's a repeatable, very easy process that we go through. When we don't get what we want, our flesh is very tied to that situation often. And it, and, there is a sense, kind of going to what Tim said, is over time, you do learn to hold things loosely. You, In your sanctification, your desires do change. Mm-hmm. There's hope in that, that over time, you don't feel the, the full brunt of it like you do initially. And I, I think, think of a typical new believer. What, what is a common characteristic of them? High zeal, mm-hmm. low lows. Mm-hmm. High zeal, low lows. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. What if that's me now? <laughs> well, you know, I didn't say it, but um, <laughs> but I do think that there is something to the path of wisdom over time that you balance, mm-hmm. and you you do have an increased awareness of how the the ebbs and flows of life affect you, and how your flesh reacts in certain moments, and there is a level of control that is 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 a part of wisdom, and. I do think we can accomplish that in our own effort where we can just, you know, just be quiet. Don't say anything, you know, don't sin any more than you need to. I, I think there is a, a human restraint that we can apply to ourselves. But then there is a spiritual control where we recognize the flesh and we yield. We turn to the Lord and trust him. And his spirit does empower us to do what we can't do on our own. And over time, that does add up. There is a real growth. And so I, that's, I was thinking that as you said it, but then, yeah, that's helpful. Andy, on your comment, I, it is sometimes the simplest little things. Mm-hmm. Like I think for a majority of people that listen to this, what is the first test and trial that happens to them every day? Getting up in the morning. The alarm. Yeah. Like 630 in the morning. That little demon. The alarm goes off and then you remind, oh, I got to get up. I'm tired. I have to go to work again. I have to go to school again. Denizen of Hades. You know, it's really unfortunate that we always use our phones to wake ourselves up. You know, before you could just smash the thing. I do not. 
I do not use my phone. Oh, so you can still <laughs> smash your people alarm clock. <laughs> Tim's advocating. No, anger. I don't do that. I don't <laughs> so, even wake up with an alarm. But so it is sometimes very simple things mm-hmm. or the representation of it is simple. It's just my alarm clock, I, I need to get up. But think about what's behind the scenes is there's responsibility, there's work. Yeah. There's, I would rather put on pajama pants, eat pizza and watch Netflix all day. But God has asked me in this dispensation of life, this season of life, to go work at this place or go to school and do these things. And it's it's serving and, and producing rather than spending time on mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. or being comfortable. And again, what is a trial? It's just simply a restriction of what you want. Mm-hmm. And so in a very real way, that alarm clock is a restriction of what you want. And th- from there, like very common, I will stop on the way to work to get something to eat or drink, like a coffee or, you know, and what happens when you get to the coffee shop? And I, I love Porchlight Coffee here in Ankeny. They now know when I walk in exactly what I want and they always have it. But just imagine the scenario. You walk in to get that thing you want. Oh, I'm sorry, we don't have that. Yeah. Or you go, you go to the gas station. And the, when I go to a gas station like Casey's and I want, like, I went this morning, I got a piece of breakfast pizza. And sometimes it's breakfast pizza. Sometimes it's any chocolate milk. Sometimes it's a blueberry fritter. And on rare occasions, it's all three. But what happens when you show up? Horrendous. It they're, is horrendous. Their fritters are good. Not as good as that. Those are my, that's my Saturday Iowa football game day routine is breakfast pizza, chocolate milk, fritter. We watch Iowa play football, and then we go try to be a productive out. adult after that. Go but, work out. No, there's apparently not. Go work. Yeah, we need to in those days. <laughs> but the, the idea is when you show up, it's happened to me before. You show up, and what do they not have? Uh, they don't have breakfast pizza? The blueberry fritter. They don't have the blueberry fritter? Like, and, and as silly as that sounds. These are not my trials. But, but something as simple as that is a restriction of desire. And how when you don't get what you want, what happens internally? And you, get, you can easily get frustrated and jealous and bitter and upset. And God plans even those little things to help you see what's at work in your heart. And, you know, you think, oh, yeah, well, getting or not getting a, a, a donut is, you know, has nothing to do with my sanctification. Well, it might. It might be somewhere where God is revealing something to you or trying to. And then, you know, from there you go to work and you, you get an email and, oh, we need you to do this today. And you're like, that's not what I want to do today. I had these plans for my day. And you, know, you easily just little yeah. things can cause these like eruptions. That's good. And what is God doing? He's trying to show you what's in. He, he is squeezing the tube of toothpaste and he's trying to get you to see, look at what's in there. And, and I think that, you know, try to take a practical step here as we wrap this up. As you, you track through the three questions we've covered so far, what is God's will? Well, he really wants to do something inside of me, an internal transformation. And how does he do that? He will produce trials, tests, spiritual training. Like That is the main means by which he wants to do this. So as you start thinking about training, spiritual tests, you start asking yourself, what type of tests did God bring into my life today? 
we're gonna we're gonna look at this specifically in the next question because I think they easily fall into three categories, very common categories. But you can start now trying to identify. Look look at this. If you're listening to this podcast, think about yesterday. Think about how your day went. Were there any moments you just simply didn't get what you wanted? And in those moments, what what did you do? What did you say? And those are external things. What did, what did you think? You think? Mm-hmm. What did you feel? And underneath your emotions and your attitudes and your thoughts, what was the desire that was being restricted? And and there isn't just a reformation of the action. Like God isn't trying to reveal your inner desire just so that you can then do the thing. He actually wants you to love the right things. And way down deep in there, there's one of two things going on. You're either loving something you should not love, which we would call immorality, or you're loving something that's okay to love too much, which we would call idolatry, or you're properly aligned and you're loving the Lord and you probably responded the correct way in the trial. But typically in a trial, (laughs) I get upset and I see some gross idolatry or immorality underneath of that restriction of desire. And, uh, you know, on, on the idolatry front, it's usually an, an idolatrization of myself. It's like I'm loving me with all my heart and soul, mind, and strength rather than loving the Lord. But anyway, so the practical step is look at yesterday and just try to think through, you know, did God produce any restrictions of desire? Were there any trials that God brought in? And just keep record of those. Those are moments where God is trying to work this work of sanctification in your life. So do you guys have any closing comments on that before we wrap mm-hmm. it up? So just when, you know, Charlie's using the illustration of like food, for you it might be like sleep. <laughs> for for me at least, that's usually where it's at. It's, I need a power nap or whatever and a kid's coming and bugging me and maybe I don't lash out at them, but I want to. And what does that want? Okay. Exactly. That's the heart mm-hmm. sin. And that there needs to be a confession and repentance even if I did restrain myself and I didn't blow up on them, okay? So so think through your life even from a comfort perspective. Maybe you wanted sleep, maybe the power, you know, your heater isn't blowing the hot air to where, you know, you're freezing cold or you're hot or whatever. It can be a comfort thing. It can be a vehicle. You're like, oh, a stinking vehicle, blah, blah, blah. Lots of different things. God's using those things. Wisdom is speaking, and we need to learn to listen. I would just add that usually we're on guard for the big things okay so like theft adultery murder pornography screaming someone out upside one down down the other punching someone in the face but i i think in james it says we encounter various trials and the greek word is literally like where we get our word polka dot it's like all kinds and what helped me when i studied that out which is going right along with this is i remember like i have this friend who revealed the sin that they struggle with and i sort of like 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 huh okay whatever like that's not a big deal but uh there's a christian counselor who has a book on this stuff and he says that we all have designer lusts because our hearts are all different and so man like what you're saying to him what, what is a trial of your faith revealing your disordered loves may not be that way to someone else and just be be careful about that because what what is a struggle for you may not be a struggle for them and don't don't look down we're all at a different place that God's working with us 
And so it's it's okay. Maybe, you know, for me, it's coffee. Some of you hate coffee, you know? Okay, there you go. So I would say that I think that's something worth considering. And then just be on guard. I think the little areas, like something happens and I pop off at my kid or I blow up about this little thing. You know, my house burns down. Maybe the Lord gives me a lot of grace. And I'm like, okay, this is my house. I got to trust the Lord. But what about when my alarm goes off? the other half of the day and I'm late for class or whatever. Yeah. And I think as we keep going, because again, this is this is meant to be two things, simple and practical. And you might like, it, there's a temptation to just run all the way through, you know, like 12 questions, there's 12 brick walls. We're just going to smash through each one of them. But it, the idea is to get just small changes in the way you think about your own life. And so what is the first change? Yeah, there's a lot of ways you could define God's will. But we're going to focus on just this one thing. He does want to change you internally. And the way he wants to do that is he's going to allow some difficulty to train you. And that training starts with you recognizing something internally that you maybe didn't see before. And you mentioned, you know, God giving grace in those moments. Mm-hmm. And actually, the way that you respond in those moments is profoundly important because God does resist the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that down the road, but as you encounter a trial now, humble yourself. Just at, humble yourself and ask God for help, and he will. We're going to get way more specific on that than maybe is necessary, but that's just the easy answer is, yeah, God is doing this in my life. What am I supposed to do? Humble yourself and ask God for grace, and he will work in you. And uh, over time, as you respond faithfully that way in humility, you are not the same person. That's the great hope of the gospel is that you yield yourself to Christ and the Spirit and you become like Christ <laughs> through the Spirit. And so um, if you're thinking about that this week, you're, you're encountering trials, just continue to respond in humility and receive the grace of God and He will work in your heart. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.